of you listening to this podcast probably already have a solar panel or two on your roof. Well, this is a story of a company who was at the very beginning of the solar industry and who has ridden the roller coaster of this industry over the past 10 years. Jenny, who is co-founder and CEO of Suntrix, is very candid about the building of her business and she shares a lot with us. Some of the key takeaways from our interview include understanding what the potential impact of government policy change might have on your industry, what growing at an excessive rate does to your business. Suntrix grew from 250,000 in the first year of turnover to 7.3 million in year two and 11 million in year three. We also hear about why founders can't be the only ones driving culture in their business and that you really probably need to hire some cultural champions to help you and how it's important not to ignore other people either in your network or maybe through a professional coach to provide advice and support during your business journey. It's really interesting also to hear that there's a bit of a theme developing over the past few podcast episodes, including in this one, about making sure that you have the right sales structure and the right sales people on board. Otherwise, you just won't be successful regardless of how good your product is. My name is Ben Campbell, and this is The Self-Made Theory. Welcome, Jenny, to The Self-Made Theory. Hello. Thanks for coming on the show. Great that we're finally here in the corporate headquarters of Suntrix in Adelaide. <laughs> corporate headquarters, you're right. I love it. It's great. <laughs> so I've heard you speak at, uh, at a couple of events. Uh, you've got a fantastic story about your business journey over quite a number of years uh, now, and you're well recognised and well regarded as, uh, as a great entrepreneur here in South Australia. Let's start back at the beginning. Where did the idea and the concept of Suntrix uh, come from? Oh, look, it's a good question. So we started Suntrix in 2009. So here we are in 2018. So that's nine years later. That's right. And it was when my daughter Violet was three months old. So that was kind of the catalyst for us because my husband and I both went part-time in our real jobs, as I like to call it. And rather than um, sharing, looking after Violet, Suntrix was born. But I guess the reason why it started is I like to call ourselves yuppie hippies. So <laughs> we're, um, we're the hippies because we recycled our grey water. We put compact fluorescent lights in before they were popular. Um, and we were really conscious about how our energy use affected um, the environment. Um, but we were the yuppie ones because if um, – we, if it was cold, I wanted to turn the air condition, uh, the heater on. If it was hot, I wanted to turn the air conditioner on. I drive a car. So, you know, we were looking at solar in the early days because we thought it was a great way to achieve both, have an effect on the environment in a positive way, but also be able to turn on our air conditioner without feeling guilty about it. And that's pretty much how Suntrix was born. We decided to, um, get the equipment ourselves. We couldn't find any companies in that period of time who, A, really knew what they were talking about and we couldn't afford it to white-collar workers. It was just too expensive for us. So did our research, got it in ourselves, realised that there was a real gap in that market and there are a lot of people exactly so you got it, like us. So you got it in yourselves to put on your own house? Or did you get it right. In, right, okay. Got it in for our own home, I found an electrician to install it for us and then realised there are a lot of people out there who are looking for 
value for money products with someone who would tell them exactly, you know, it was so hard to actually understand or, or believe, who, who to believe at those times. And is that because the industry was just new and so there wasn't a lot of information or known knowledge around the industry? That's right. The, the, um, some of the government incentives were just starting at that stage. Actually, they hadn't, ju- they hadn't started, but they were very close to starting. And so there were companies popping up, but none of them actually had a good understanding of how solar worked. We had salespeople coming to our home and not quite sure even what side of the um, roof to put the solar panels on, which was a bit of an issue. And so it was a really fledgling industry in every way, I imagine. So people were selling, didn't really know what they were selling. It was new. There was government rebates. There was all this new stuff. It was definitely a good time to get into solar. And I look back and we grew extraordinarily fast. And I'd like to say that that was all because of my fantastic (laughs) business skills. Of course it was. Of course it was. Uh, But it was a really good time to be in solar. The the boom was happening at that stage. Mind you, um, that caused its own challenges and complexities. And we saw a lot of good businesses and cowboys go out of business around that time just because they, they grew too quick, couldn't handle that boom. Um, so we, I think we did a really good job in being sustainable during that period. And so when you say you grew really quickly, have you got some metrics around that for our listeners? Yeah. So, um, our first year in 2009, we did, um, $250,000 turnover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then our second year, we did 7.3 million. And then we went up to 11 million, uh, the year after that. So I'm talking about really very rapid growth. I imagine most people listening would go, that's sensational. It's- <laughs> <laughs> only my business could do that. Oh, you know what? It's um, managing that growth is really challenging. And so what are the things? What are the things that challenge you when yeah. you're growing that fast? So I guess one of the biggest things was um, the team and the culture. Very, very difficult. It was a booming industry. There weren't a lot of people, experienced people around. We were a new company working from home, from the kitchen table, and um, and so we weren't an employer of choice. So basically we got to the stage where we just hired anyone who wanted to work for us, really. And Why? that Bec- causes its own challenges in regards to culture. And so was that because you didn't you weren't a recognized brand or name in the industry, so therefore you couldn't attract the quality of staff that you wanted? Absolutely. So just imagine um At that stage, a heavily pregnant woman with a toddler at home, working from home, so running all of her interviews from cafes, (laughs) um, trying to employ electricians, office staff, uh, solar designers, um, it Look, it was it was a tough time and also the industry was starting to grow. So there are a lot of other solar companies who were starting up looking for staff as well. Um, so we got to the stage where we were employing anyone um, within context, I guess. Um, and it did, it really affected our culture because we weren't managing properly. And also because we were growing so quickly, it's hard to keep up to date with those systems, those processes, the checks and balances that you need. So we were always kind of running ourselves ragged trying to keep up with everything. Uh, and it wasn't until, you know, a couple of years in that uh, I stopped and went, okay, what do we need to do about this? 
Um, and so what, so what were the impacts of that? What were the impacts? Were there impacts financially or were the impacts on you or the, the team? Or? Oh, well, I don't think I slept for the first five years, but that also had to do with okay. the fact that I um, had two children. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> during that time as well. You know what? I still remember there were times when – so when, when Mabel, my second daughter, was born, like I used to bring her into work for the first three months and have meetings with her and then mm. – drop her off at my auntie's down the road and then go and feed her and come back again and uh, absolutely sleep-deprived uh, whilst that business was ramping up from the 7.3 to 11 million and we went from 11 staff to 21 staff over that time. So it was hard work in that sense. Um, and, I, and, and at any stage of that, did you can seriously consider what you were doing? Oh, God. And, and did you ever, you know, was there a, what the hell are we doing? Why aren't we selling this, doing something different because this is just way too hard? Yeah, absolutely, every day. Um, I guess we grew so quickly uh, and loved what we were doing. I mean, it was, um, I, I, I think I feel really kind of hit my straps in that Um and it, it's interesting because uh, we were talking before about how I don't. Th- I'm an accidental entrepreneur. I never would have actually started a business otherwise. An opportunity came up, and I grabbed it with both hands. But I never intended to run my own business. So I was a librarian. I loved the work that I was doing, and then suddenly I'm running a solar company, having no electrical experience or qualifications, not understanding the difference between an isolator and a enclosure <laughs> at that stage. Um, and so learning really quickly, managing a big team, but I loved it as well. It was, it was a great challenge. So, so, so what brings the love? What, what is it that, that excites you about, yeah. about that piece? I know it sounds so contrived, but it's, it is just that whole passion and everyone talks about passion. It's having a purpose for what you're doing. So for mine, it was, it was the environmental side, but then I actually have a real passion for business as well. It's the challenges. It's the team environment. It's the, um, creating a great team of people it's being able to service your clients and doing something better than everyone else in the industry it's having that reputation it's being able to provide influence to the industry uh, to consumers uh, to the community I I really love all of those sides of business and I think I, I kind of that so the passion for me is not just renewables now. It started off as renewables, but it's actually just for business as well. So you're actually quite lucky because a lot of people running their own business have a passion in something. You've actually got two. You've got the, a passion for the environment and a passion for business, and those two things have come together. You know, and, and um, I think I'm pretty lucky that I do because there are some days – with anyone who runs a business, there are some days um, when one of those might flag a little bit. <laughs> so, I mean, we've had a lot of, um, particularly recently, a lot of uh, disappointing news in regards to climate change, renewable energy, um, you know, at the federal government level. And I just, you get to the stage sometimes where you go, oh my God, is this really what I want to be focusing my life on? Um, the business keeps you going. And then sometimes when you're going, cash is hard and, you know, I've just had to let this person go or I've got an angry customer or something else, the renewables kicks in. So it keeps you going either way. Often when we do you know, formal business planning, we're looking at you know, the political, environmental, you know, social and you know, technological things that are going on in our industries. When you were early in the creation of your business, were you really concerned about how long the government would support the renewables program? Early on in the business, I had no idea. 
I didn't even think of it. We were growing, we were moving forward, we were expanding, moving to other states, had more work than we could handle. We're turning down work and that's the whole sustainable side. Trying to grow sustainably was really important. Um, So there were stages where we turned down work rather than actually overextend ourselves. And so I was really naive in that sense, very, very naive. I look back and I think I was just riding the wave and going, this is great, and never actually considered uh, that things might not stay as they were, particularly where, when we were involved in solar in those early days, there was bipartisan support mm. for a renewable energy target until 2020. So I guess I had no reason to worry about it. It wasn't until... Um, I think it was three or four years ago that um, the then Abbott government decided to put in a review of that target and that was when everything went pear-shaped very quickly. And and I imagine you weren't on your own in the industry being surprised when there were changes. Oh, gosh, no. And and again, we saw, you know... We saw a lot of good companies go out of business during that time. We held on by our fingernails, really. It was a tough two years for us. That was when I realized the importance of uh, influencing and kind of looking outside of your own little bubble. Uh, before that, I was working and living in my little Suntrix bubble and very happy with life. And it wasn't until after that that I realized the importance of having those wider networks within my industry and within government as well, both local and state and federal government. So that was a bit of an eye-opener for me, a great learning experience. Not that I'd want to go through it again. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice to have the learning under your belt, isn't it? (laughs) It is, but next time just give me the advice. I don't have to do it myself. (laughs) So how is the industry different today? Look, for us, so we started as a residential solar company uh, and we did that for quite a few years. Then I and, that, and that's really where a lot of the rebates, et cetera, were really driven uh, towards, wasn't it? Definitely yeah. early on, yes. The, the whole idea of commercial solar didn't exist in the early days. I've got to say, I got started on that quite early and, and, and saw that as a potential future market, um, but really struggled with it as well. So this was well before the um, review of the renewable energy target. I actually tried, it took me three BDMs, business development managers. So I went, okay, commercial, great market. This is going to be good. Who do I hire to start selling? There are no commercial solar salespeople because that doesn't exist. So it took me a couple of goes to actually get it right. And it's a very different selling cycle, selling to corporations and enterprises as opposed to selling to people in their homes. Very different. So I struggled. I struggled to find the right person for that. And that probably took us a year to be able to get someone in. Uh, and then, of course, we had a massive downturn in the industry nationally for a couple of years. And we spent that time, I guess you could say, we, we put in, uh, we had a look at all of our systems, processes, markets. We had a look at our team. We fixed our culture. And I am saying fixed, you know, the culture was not good at that stage. How did you do that? Um, we had a look at the dynamics of the team. There were people who were in the organization that we moved on. I have found this amazing, amazing person who still works for us to this day who was our cultural champion. She is still our cultural champion and she was our tipping point. She was the one who kind of – the biggest challenge I had was that I would interview people and I would sell them the purpose, the passion. You know, they would leave after an interview and they'd be like, wow, I want to work for this company. This girl's got some great ideas. And so I'd bring them in and within a month they they would have – the negative 
team members would have got in their ear, you know, oh, no, well, nothing ever changes over here. Oh, well, don't tell that person because if you tell that person, we'll go to that person. And, you know, it was – and I didn't – and, of course, I had no idea what was going on. This was all happening behind my back. And I finally caught on, dealt with that, dealt with the negative behaviours. Um, and, and the tipping point was this one employee who came in who just went, I'm not dealing with that BS. No, I don't agree with you. Uh, and it was enough to to set that culture the way that we wanted it to go. And it has transformed since then. And that was quite a few years ago. But it's amazing the difference. So did you define what good culture looked like? Did you define to the team what the acceptable behaviours were and the values that we are looking for? And the, yeah. is, is that something that you did? when you decided to change it? Yeah, and that does coincide as well. So we have four key company values that we've had for years now and it's quite interesting because uh, we reviewed them again early this year and it hasn't changed. We're still really happy with um, the ones that we've got and obviously they're mine as well. Like They're my personal values. So they, have, they, they sort of have to be, they? do, they? they do. I mean, they, you know, it comes, uh, it comes from the top. But we look at those values whenever we hire someone. They're in everyone's job description. We talk about them at monthly meetings. Um, we do, we talk about them at performance appraisals, everything. They're part of everything. It's really interesting that they haven't changed at all. Uh, I still remember when we did the original workshop to, to set them up quite a few years ago. And we had a facilitator who helped us with it. And we just wrote down all of the words, you know, this is where we want to be, this is what we are, and, and this is what we believe in. And then it was very clearly was defined by four of them, and it was fantastic. I like the fact that you talk about them not only, you know, as your, you know, who your company is and an identity, but in the performance appraisals, in the monthly meetings constantly, because that's one of the challenges I see in many organisations. They've all got defined values, but they're not pervasive. Know what they are? That's right. What are they? <laughs> but more importantly, how are we holding each other accountable yeah. to those values? Yeah. And that's in every conversation. That's in the decisions that you make. That's in the monthly meetings. That's in the performance appraisals is holding each other accountable to them. And it's in the conversations as well. So one of our um, key values is uh, do the right thing. Do the right thing means by your clients, by your team members, by your suppliers, your contractors, everyone. Um, it means no dodgy shit. It means treat people how you want to be treated. And so there will be conversations where we'll go, okay, well, we've got this challenge. You know, these have, the panels have been delayed by a week. Um, we could do X or Y. Okay, well, is that doing the right thing? You know, is that doing the right thing by our client? And so we do use those phrases as well. I, I think we can always continue developing it, but it's, it, it um, makes me smile when I hear people using those phrases. The other one is love what you do. Love what you do is so important. We've got the pub rule, which means that you don't have to be best friends with someone, but you've got to feel comfortable going down to the pub to have a beer or a coffee with, with your team members and with your customers and with your suppliers. You know, it's a full circle. Don't work with people you don't like. It's about enjoying coming to work at least 90% of the time. We all have bad days. That's just, you know, being humans. And there's all st always stuff we don't like doing. Exactly. <laughs> but, but trying to do as much as you like. So we have a look at, is this person in the right role? Are they enjoying their work? Would they be better off in a different role? Um, whenever we can do that, we always look at it because you've got to love what you do. You're going to be working for a very long time and we want people to stay and we want people to enjoy what they're doing. Mm. 
I see the passion uh, in your eyes and in your mouth <laughs> and in your smile when you talk about it. How defining is going through that process been to your organisation in terms of is that one of the most defining moments for you? As in setting up the company values? Oh, absolutely. And you know what? Again, it took a while. So when we first did the workshop, they were things that I had written on my desk and that I would share occasionally with the team but not really plug it as much. Yeah. And so it took a while to actually realise how important it was to continue communication and, and um, explain the reasoning behind those with the team. And so that way they, they owned it and they loved it and they, you know, they, they believe it too. Mm. Yeah. So now you're predominantly commercial in terms yeah, of Yeah, about 95, oh, 90% commercial. Yeah. We do residential work in South Australia. We do commercial in SA Victoria and New South Wales, but most of the residential work are for Word of mouth, people already know us, um, commercial clients who want installs for their home, existing customers, those kinds, yeah. Yeah, okay. So what's uh, what's next on the great business journey for Suntrix and Jenny Paradiso? Oh, yeah. That, oh. that you can talk about. There's, yeah, that I can talk about. <laughs> you know what? There's still so many opportunities and one of my biggest frustrations is I want to do it all now uh, and, and it's actually just uh, finding the – the resources and the time to be able to do everything that we want. So we we're very we're very stable and set up in South Australia and Victoria. Head office is in SA and we'll always be in SA. We've got a great team in Victoria as well. Uh, we've done work in New South Wales, but we're pushing into New South Wales for the rest of this year. So we're looking at that at the moment. We've also we're developing a couple of new services and products that we think again real gap in the market and a good way to define ourselves. We're also, we've got a monitoring system that we developed in-house a number of years ago that we put on all of our clients' installs. Wow, okay. And yeah, so that's, we, we, we want to make sure that our systems are working properly and we want to ensure that our clients understand how their systems are working and make sure that they are. You'd be surprised how many people put solar on their roof and invest thousands and thousands of dollars on that investment and aren't even quite sure if it's working properly. So we monitor their systems. Uh, we give them the, the, we enable them to be able to monitor it themselves from their iPhone app or from an email so you, coming So you through. can monitor that from here yeah, as yeah. well as, you know, as, well as, as the client can, can monitor yeah. it locally. Wow. So we've got this great product and we've used it in-house. Um, we started selling overseas uh, about a year ago. Um, but to be honest, we just got distracted with all of the commercial work and everything else we've been doing. So that's another thing that we really want to focus on for the rest of this year and next year, actually getting that product out and out internationally as well, which I think is, it's got some really great potential. It does. It sounds very exciting. So what's your point of differentiation when you're going into, say, a market like New South Wales? Why, you know, why is Suntrix different from the next solar company? Yeah, it's a million dollar question. <laughs> and it's really funny. And, and it's a question really for every business, isn't it? It is. And, you know, we've been talking about that quite a bit at the moment because we, we very clearly see our point of difference. It's actually explaining that to our clients and our potential market as well because the challenge we have is that our what we see as our point of difference is what most companies advertise as their point of difference as well. So we have um, 
Our customer is key. So, and it goes back to those company values in regards to do the right thing as well. But we will always look after our clients. And that means that we don't always get it right. We are only human and, you know, we've got a good sized team. But if we don't get it right, we make it right. Whatever it takes, we make it right. And that I've realized is actually quite rare, uh, not only for solar companies, but in business in general. Um, and our clients recognize that and appreciate that. It's the best practice that we always aim for in regards to the quality of our installations. And this is something that a lot of people don't really think of. They look at the panels and they look at the inverter, but how you design a system and how you install it is also very important. And can it really, it can really affect how much you get out of your solar system is in how much output you get, how much money you save from it as well. So we spend a lot of time on that. We spend, we've got a number of high level electrical people in our organization at the management level as well as the project management and the installation level. And so that's really important too, to make sure that we're not just putting solar panels on someone's roof, we're actually putting the right solar panels in the right orientation with the right equipment and, you know, strung properly and everything else. I think that's really important too. And then there's that monitoring as well, which is really important. And the question is, how do you how do you translate that message to the end consumer who just sees, as you said, panels and inverter? Mm, and, price there versus price. And you know what? This is why we're predominantly commercial because – we find we've we've kind of found our sweet spot um, in that commercial market, which is commercial industrial, and these clients are more likely to appreciate the quality and the expertise. So they're not looking for the the bottom feeders. You know, they're not obviously everyone is steered by price, but price isn't the only thing. One of the reasons why we exited the residential market and we don't actively pursue that anymore is because you're up against some really cheap and nasty companies who are over $1,000 cheaper than us. And it's hard to justify. I mean, we see the value in that in regards to the product that's being used, the service you're getting not only now but after you install as well, which is really important, and also the the design and the output and everything else. We see that value. It's very hard to actually explain that to Mr. and Mrs. Jones uh, who are looking for a five kilowatt system on their roof when they're saying, well, this company over here is $5,000 cheaper. And so we would prefer to actually go for the markets that will see the value in what we're offering. Well, the difference with commercial is they often have a more detailed buying criteria other than just the price. Mm. And so they'll obviously do their research and spend a bit more time with you to understand the value that you bring to the table. Obviously, you're returning residential customers realise the value because they, yeah, keep, they keep coming back. And you know what? We've got some fantastic residential customers who've come back a few times. It's, it's but, but they've obviously then seen, right? They've seen that service. They've seen that, you know, backup. They've seen that, you know, quality of implementation. Mm. And so they already know that that's a, that's a given. Yeah, but it's, it's rare to get return customers with solar because generally once you put it on their roof, they don't need you again, <laughs> at least for, I mean, for maintenance and everything, yes, but not for, not for the installs. But when they move house or they get a rental property or something else, they do come back again. So looking back over your nine years, no doubt there's been lots of challenges. There always is in every business. Is there anything you'd look back on now and go, gee, I really wish I hadn't done that? Or, oh, or, or, or I really wish I had, <laughs> I had done that? Is there anything yeah. that stands out to you? Definitely I wish I had done that. 
I wish that I knew that. I wish that I moved faster on that. I wish I moved slower on that. Absolutely. And so what Not advice so would you give to people who are you know, in, in business today, either going through a tough time or a starting business? Is there any advice that you would give them you know, now that you wish someone had come and given you back then? Yeah, look, it took me years to realise that I had a network of support available to me. And so I did it on my own for the first for many years, did it on my own um, and didn't really look for help. Why, why, why do you think we do that? Well, I guess for me, I just didn't even realise that there were support networks out there. I mean, as I said, I came from, uh, well, I worked in local government for many years in public libraries and then worked for um, a private enterprise for library software. Had no idea of even the support networks that are available for startups, for, for businesses starting out. And I think that was the biggest thing. It was just naive, had no idea. And so for anyone who's looking at starting now, it's, there's, there's kind of two areas. So there are some great training programs. Um, there's government support in regards to startup. There's some really good, uh, not for profit organizations out there. Um, and even some, for-profit organizations out there to, to help people in that position. But also it's getting your network of people who are doing exactly what you're doing so you can feed off of each other, finding people that you trust as well. I remember when we were having, when we were going through the downturn in the solar industry, it was, um, I kept it all to myself for the first year. You know, we were really struggling. We had, didn't know where I was going to get my sales from, um, dealing with culture, dealing with everything else. And um, I was too scared to talk to anyone about it just because I was worried that I'd be judged and people would think that mm. I wasn't able to run a business. And it wasn't until I was talking to someone who is actually um, head of a very large South Australian business and I was at a networking event talking to him and um, he was like, oh, you know, so how are you doing? And I went, oh, yeah, you know, business is moving. And he goes, oh, we've had a horrible year. We're going to make a loss this year. <laughs> We made a loss last year as well, but it's picking up and I'm, you know, hopeful for next year. And I'm just looking at him like gobsmacked. And I just went, oh, well, actually, yeah, we're really struggling at the moment as well. And he goes, yep, I talked to a lot of people in your position. And he actually made me realize that I could have these conversations with the right people and actually get support from them rather than judgment or anything else. And it it made life a lot easier for me. So it was still such a... um it's a turning point. It was definitely a turning point for me. And the key is finding the right people to do that, the ones that you can trust, yeah. ones that you feel comfortable, and more importantly, people that are going to empathise and understand. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing your story. We might actually put some of those uh, networks into our show notes so that others that are listening can engage with them. So thank you very much for sharing your story. It's a great one. Uh, it's very exciting. And uh, I love to see the passion that comes from a, a business owner who's Travelled a sometimes a tough road, but uh, it's pretty exciting to see the great journey that you've had. So thank you for sharing. Great, thank you. Absolute pleasure. Cheers. A huge shout out for Jenny for being so open in her interview. There is so much in here for almost every business to learn from Suntrix's story. If you head over to our website, www.theselfmadetheory.com, you will find in our show notes some of the support networks that Jenny and I spoke about and ways that you can contact Suntrix. We would love for you to provide us some feedback on what you love or don't love about our podcast. Rate or comment on your favourite podcast app. Until next time, keep innovating, overcoming and prospering. Mm-hmm.